I almost visualize it as breaking through water. It's like I'm looking at a sheet of water and then it's like a memory sort of pokes out of the water somewhere and then I can work from there. But it's very, very hard to describe that to people without them just freaking out. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad! Trying to find out how to do life but it turns out nobody knows hello i'm going to be incredibly quick now because what happened as you may remember from last week is that uh, me and jody suddenly stopped talking and you heard an outro and now it's time for the second part of the chat that we had because of course it's very special to to me because Jody is my co-host for my other podcast Secret Dinosaur Cult and they're a great friend of mine we kind of had our coming out journeys as non-binary people together in a way they helped me quite a lot in the beginning and you know at the moment this this episode was recorded this this introduction is recorded in our Airbnb in Copenhagen where Jody and I did a recording of uh, Secret Dinosaur Cult on Sunday and I'm doing my show tonight and tomorrow. So, you know, we've been traveling together for quite a few days now and uh, we'll continue to do so. So it was very nice having this chat in the middle of it where, you know, we got serious and had a nice um, chat about things. So, yeah, sorry if it's a bit, been a bit confusing. The outro that you will hear after this episode is over is one that I was isn't has not been recorded after the the you know after Jody left like Jody's not here right now but Jody were there when we um when I did the outro hope it's not too confusing I think I'm the only one really confused I think you all you all get what's happened here so um yeah just a quick reminder I'm on tour at the moment my first uh, tour dates uh, are in London in the mid September then it's Winchester and then I'll be all over the UK places called things like Ditkit and um <laughs> I mean I now forgot the rest Aberdeen I'll be in Aberdeen Kendal I mean I shouldn't just be trying to remember all the places I'm going to be in a lot of places so please come and uh, check out my show The Bum Swing which I did in Edinburgh and uh, people seem to like it a lot so yeah, come and see me on tour. I would just really love for that to happen. And uh, yeah, buy my book Happy Fat. And all in all, just, you know what? All I want you to do is to listen to this episode with the incredible Jodie Mitchell. So I will hand you over to them uh, right now. This is um, the continuation of the conversation we had, what you heard last week. Um, yeah, Enjoy. <laughs> out to my wider family and I actually I think the vast majority of them would probably be really supportive and would try and understand um but it's just it's it's that thing that goes oh they're gonna think that you're this like metropolitan wanker who's made who's made up this thing because it's just not it's not really talked about yeah 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 can i ask how much of that has to do with well i want to ask how much of that also has to do a bit with echoism but for that i think you need to explain what (laughs) echoism is and what what that echoism um i mean thankful 
fuck we found a word for it. Oh my God. Right? Because the first was time... That? Was that December last year? Yeah. I was there about, yeah. Yeah, around December. Because we actually talked about echoism the first time that we properly I th- went out for lunch together in yeah. Edinburgh. Yeah. Because remember, we, we went to your favourite place in Edinburgh... Hotel Duvan. Yeah, oh, I still don't, can't pronounce it because they have the best bread. Do you want to talk about the bread for a Oh, bit? they just have really good bread. And then people, <laughs> dumb UK people will be like, nom, nom, nom. Oh, that's just every, any kind of bread. It's not. It's better bread than I've ever tasted anywhere in the UK. It's really good. And you get it for free. It's a bread basket. But you have to order, of course. You can't just get the bread I've asked. <laughs> Anyways, we were there. <laughs> we were at yeah. Hotel Duvan, which, or um, bread, Duvan, if you bread, would, bread would rather. <laughs> Hotel du Bread. Hotel du Bread. Hotel Bread Bread. And at this point, from my point of view, I've had this condition. I don't even know what the word would be, like mental state of mind, this, I don't know, illness. Ugh. The way my mind has worked has been very, very specific. And I have tried, at this point, I've been trying to explain that to maybe seven different therapists and none of them have really understood it it just for me I was like I didn't even tell I I had one friend who sort of understood it but she didn't really understand it and even if people think they understand it they still couldn't really emphasize because it's such a weird thing and I'd had therapists be like no that's not a thing people like therapists gaslight me into being like no you're making it up or so that was my I don't even remember why I told you about it or how I started talking. If you, I think we were talking about what we wanted to eat, and you were like, "I oh. never know what I want to eat. I don't really know what things taste like. What I don't really get cravings." It was something like that. Yeah, where you, that you basically makes sense. you described being very dissociated. Yeah, but I would um, never have told that to. I would never have said that to most. I don't think I would never say that. Mm. So I don't know why I felt... Well, probably because I could... I must have sensed that you would get it. I guess so. Because I also hadn't really talked about that with anyone. But then you started talking about it. I was like, yeah, well... I really have that as well. I really don't... I really... I find it very hard to recall memories. I often... I'm completely unaware of what my body wants or needs. I find it very difficult to realize whether I'm like in pain or not, or like if I'm hungry or if I'm thirsty or what I want, what's making me feel sick, what I did in my day that has made, you know, I'm yeah. just dissociated from um, how my body is feeling. The way, I've, the way I've, I've tried to explain it to normal people is by saying, you know, when people ask you something like, what's your favorite New Year's Eve or even just what's your favorite color or what did you do last weekend or yeah things like what do you feel like eating or what's your best memory from a holiday where where have you traveled to things like that so I I remember asking someone at a party I said what was your favorite memory from last Edinburgh and he said oh oh yeah on the last day blah 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 I said, yeah, if you asked me what's your memory from last Edinburgh, I would be completely blank. Like that'd be, yeah. It would feel like reaching into an empty drawer. I'd be like, I don't know. I just I, did an interview before we did this. I did a, not like a pre-interview for a TV show. Mm. And they said, and now we have a quick fire round. And I was like, well, I know how that's going to go. They're like, when do you feel the most sexy? And I was like, I, I got nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. I have no nothing. And like when um, it was, oh, there was no other quick, like, what's the craziest thing you've, had sex and it was like um 
I see, I can't even remember the questions they asked about me remembering things. And I was just like, I, I have nothing. Like, oh, when is the most memorable time you've been fat shamed? And I was like, nothing. I have nothing. Like, my brain is blank. And it's not like I need a minute to think about it. It's like there is nothing. Yeah. There's nothing there. Sometimes stuff, like, surfaces through it. It's like it's breaking through. I almost visualize it as it breaking through water. It's like I'm looking at a sheet of water, and then it's like a memory sort of pokes out of the water somewhere, and then I can sort of work from there. But it's very, very hard to describe that to people yeah. without them just freaking out. But I think what I'm usually getting is people don't believe it. Because yeah, like, people- I had a therapist mm. say, oh yeah, I sometimes feel like that. And it's like, no, no, no. It's all the time. It's, it's just, this is from as long, far, like this is, yeah, constantly. It's absolutely 100% constantly. It's My like- therapist now keeps believing that when I wake up, I don't have it. I'm like, no, it's also when I wake up. <laughs> You're just incredibly high functioning in the mornings and then the rest of the day. <laughs> Wake up like, oh, I know what I like. I like cheese and oh no, wait, I'm losing it. Eternal sunshine of the spotless Sophie. Just every day, during the day. I. It's so weird, isn't it? It's so, so weird. It feels like no, not existing. That's the closest thing I get to it is that. And the root cause of it is supposed to be, um, basically, I mean, one of them is like, experiencing really intense narcissism so having someone Mm. close to you who exhibits very narcissistic behavior because it it trains you to not pay attention to Mm. yourself so echoism is on the opposite end of the spectrum to narcissism if narcissism is complete self-involvement then echoism is at the exact opposite and there's also there's a scale of echoism i think that i don't lie at the most extreme end of that scale the one that's furthest from narcissism i don't think that's where i'm at well it's so new as well that it was like i couldn't find it i've yet to find any therapist who knew about the term echoism that's like one there's like one, one who wrote book. a book about it which we tried to read and it was quite tricky <laughs> donna savory yeah donna savory yeah. who i emailed and she doesn't have time for new clients i was like come on you're the only person who knows what's happening <laughs> but you're my but new it mom. also seems like from every research all the research i've done since it's like it also so it, it's sort of dissociative disorder, but it's also sort of CPTSD, so like complex PTSD, which is like PTSD is a traumatic event, where CT, CPTSD is when you when your childhood consisted of a thousand different types of trauma. So it's just that like complex PTSD. So it's just like a lot of different things going wrong, and not just one event. So it's it can. I don't know. It's like a, I don't know if it's a Venn diagram or if one of them is like all echoists are also CPTSD or if it's like some. Et- I don't know what, but it's all sort of in the same family of mental health stuff. Yeah. But my when my therapist finally, I think she understood it more than any other therapist has. She was like. But what you're dis- the reason no one has understood this yet, like of other therapists. So it's like, it doesn't make sense that you can still function. Because if what you describe is true, that you are never really existing, it doesn't make sense that you can, and you seem high functioning. So when you say, I feel like this, therapists will just go, well, you can't, because then you wouldn't be alive right now. Mm. And I think that's down to how, I'm gonna, I know this sounds like wanky, but I think that's down to how strong we are and how intelligent we are. 
I think it takes a lot of strength and a lot of intelligence and just a lot of like a strong survival skill. Yeah. And being able to be aware of it Mm. as well, because I didn't have a word for this, but I have a very clear memory, which is rare for moi, (laughs) very clear memory of being maybe eight years old and standing at my bedroom window. And, um, I was aware of being, dissociated and as a child I used to do this thing where every thought that I had I would try and say it in my head so that I would process it and be present with it wow um so you would have a you know you would have a thought in a second which is like oh look at that thing over there but it was as a child because I was so freaked out by this feeling of being dissociated and not present and not knowing what I wanted and not you know knowing what to ask for for my birthday not you know this all sounds so petty but actually it's personality it's a lack of per- it's a lack of knowing how to build a personality yeah um well, c- can i explain my analogy yeah just in case people need a bit i don't know if this is going to make sense but some to some it might because your analogy is is under being a feeling like you're underwater mm. and mine is being in a round cabin with windows all the way around and not windows with glass in it but it's like holes in the wall and it's a completely round, and in the middle of this cabin uh, is everything that is me. What I like, what I've experienced, who I am, what I'm feeling like, like complete contact with my body and like existing, basically. And But I can never turn around to look at it because then I have my back to the windows and outside is danger. So I have to run in circles, being highly, highly, highly alert and aware of everything that's outside, which in practice is like other people and how they feel and what could potentially happen and dangers and that's why like when I walk down the street my brain is going you might fall you might fall don't fall don't fall don't get run over don't get run over is that person staring you what's that person going to do are you going to do this what if you forget something what if you don't forget something did you forget to lock the door did you constantly like thousand miles per hour so at no point do I have time to go huh what do I feel like eating because the three seconds that would take I might whatever fall fall over or get run down or get abused or get harassed or misjudge someone's mood so I constantly run in circles knowing that behind me is so when someone says what's what's your favorite memory from last Edinburgh I'm like fuck you I don't know I'm trying to keep myself alive here by looking out of all these windows so of course I can't turn around and look in like my memory box and be present and oh who am I because then I'll be dead in case that helps sorry go on it's like the best <laughs> analogy ever i had to draw um, it from my therapist i don't think she, st- she still didn't really understand it the she way was like you have to go out of the cabin i was like no i don't have to go out of the cabin i have to be able to turn around i have to get windows i the way i explained it to my therapist is that uh, everything everything is underwater and everything that's that's going on around me is above the water and under the water there's all of my all of my memories and the things i know about myself and um, you know, and I'm, if I paddle and paddle and paddle and paddle, then I stay above the water and I can look around. Um, if I'm conscious of what's happening, if it's, if I'm doing this process of thinking about things and being present and meditating in the morning so that I'm trying to be with my body. So I feel more present in it and, uh, going to therapy and chatting to that fucking cunt of an inner child that I have. Oh, don't say that about your inner child. Oh, yeah, I love you, inner child. You're very funny. <laughs> love you. <laughs> um, such a little shit. Wish I could just feel things. And then, 
you know, doing, if I stop doing all of that, then I, you know, I just, I'll sink under the water. I'll just dissociate and I won't mm. be aware of what's going on. Um, so it's like that constant thing. But I think because I've been so aware of it, because I think I've been aware of this process since I was very little, that aware of needing to be on top of it and aware that it's weird and I didn't know why. As a kid, I, th- I thought that it was, um, I thought that if I stopped thinking my thoughts, eventually I would stop existing and I'd lose my sense of self. And I, I have like a really creepy diary entry about it because I never kept a diary because I was really scared as a kid that I would write down an opinion that I wouldn't have the next day. Um, so I would self-edit all of my diaries, um, which wow. Alison Bechdel talks about in um, oh, in this fun, fun house. No, yeah, the, in yeah. Fun Home. In fun Home, yeah. Graphic novel about correcting diary entries and stuff. Yeah, Alison talked about that when I met her. Anyways, go on. <laughs> Sophie's yeah, one me memory and, is me meeting Alison, Alison Bechdel. Me and Alison Bechdel, we had a, we had a long chat about that. So. <laughs> I hate so much sometimes. Just so jealous. So Alison Bechdel. <laughs> oh, I want to meet her Sorry, so much. Um, my butch icon. Yeah, because I, because I was aware of that, I think that I slowly made an effort to build my sense of self to be aware and to hold on to each tiny thing I realized, you know, realizing, oh, I don't like this food or like, I really, I really love the smell of fresh air. Because like, when you have a fact, when you realize a fact, mm. it becomes a lot because you're so fucking grateful. Yeah. Like when I realized and I felt it so strong that I liked colors, fucking, that's still a thing like cut like whenever I see anything that has a lot of colors I'm like I have to buy that and own that because I am a person who likes colors yeah it becomes so I become so obsessed with the fuck there's finally a thing I know about me I'm a person who likes colors yeah so you know we've done that we're building it and I think a lot of my personality um obviously I have a personality <laughs> like at this point I I've developed as a person I know I know what I like and what I don't like and I'm a lot more present and I've processed a lot of trauma and I you know I've had a lot of therapy and um I'm very wise I'm very wise I'm a very wise woman um <laughs> you know I'm now that I've done all of that it's very weird to be talking about that process because you're right. It just sounds, it sounds like I'm chatting absolute shit because it's like, obviously I have a very clear moral compass and I have lots of opinions and, you know, I call shit out all the time and I go out into the world and I run on my feministly agendered nights. And, you know, obviously I have a personality and I have opinions and I exist and I, I have a, you know, I have a room with my things in it and I like my things and all of that is true, but it's also, it's never something that stops completely. I don't yeah. think because. And the reason we know it's, well, for me, the reason I know it's not normal is because I've had five times in my life where I like existed and it was all like sudden triggers, like five big things that happened in my life after which I suddenly felt alive and suddenly I could, it felt like breathing. It felt like I could smell things. It felt I suddenly could, oh, I like apples and I would go and buy an apple and eat the apple and taste the apple. And I was like, oh my God, this is what 
it's like to be normal. And that's what people just feel on a regular day basis that, you know, oh, I feel like having an apple, I feel like having a salad. I remember, I remember this thing from Edinburgh. That is just what being normal is. So I imagine if you just, if you just always felt like that, you can't imagine not having that. You can't imagine the blankness and the emptiness and the distortion and the anxiety. And I imagine if you're a proper, I don't know, normal might be a problematic way of saying it, but like non-echoist person, you can't imagine what it's like to wake up on a Tuesday and then suddenly it's Sunday mm. and you've not really been aware at any point of what's actually happened. And time hasn't like for me, an hour isn't an hour. It's like, ugh, like it's not even really there. So it really affects time for you. Oh, hugely. Okay. But then when I was alive, an hour was 60 minutes and I could do things mm, in an so hour. so interesting. Like, it was like, I have an hour. Wow, what do I do with my hour? Yeah. Where now, when I'm dissociated, echoist, CPTSD, whatever it is that it is, non-existent, and an hour just goes away immediately because that hour is me running from window to window, being like, shit, 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 shit. Okay, what's happening? What's happening? And then suddenly the day's gone. And I, all of that time, I could have just been in bed, but I was not present and aware and safe. Do you think that's why we became funny? Because humor is reacting. When, you're, when you are growing up, being funny is an anecdotal because you're children. You're children, you don't have anecdotes to tell, really. Mm. You're reacting to stuff in the moment. You're commenting on stuff in the moment. That's how you become funny as a child. Mm. And I, I think that maybe that's why I became funny because as I grew older... And you begin to gather your experiences up that you can talk about with your friends. And obviously I couldn't talk about my home life with my friends at all. There was no way that they would understand it because I, I'd been scholarship to a super posh school and my home life was like homelessness. And, you know, there's no, no way they were going to understand that at the Perth School for Girls. Absolutely not. Not whilst I became head girl. What's it going to be like? Welcome to speech day. And now the topic, homelessness. Like it would have, <laughs> would have gone down badly. I think that's why I, why I developed this love for humor as you, a communication method. When do you remember, do you remember thinking, when's the earliest time you remember thinking that you were funny or being aware that you were funny or knowing you were making jokes? I think I was quite young when that happened because... I'd gone to drama school on the weekends and I know that that was when I was like, I was nine, I think, when I started doing that, nine, 10, 11, 12. So like for four or five years, I think, until I was 13, I was at drama school on the weekends and I remember people telling me I was funny mm. there making people laugh I remember very clearly making people laugh because I didn't really have friends before that point because I was such a nerd because I was too clever so I was quite ostracized at school and I also went to a lot of schools where we didn't have a uniform so I was wearing boys clothes and I was being really mocked for that so I think it was at drama school that I yeah so I would say around 10 must have been around 10 that I became aware that I was making jokes with people 
But mm-hmm. I think the reason I was able to do that there is that there was an audition to get in. And so by the time you got in, everyone respected you a bit. Everyone respected each mm-hmm. other there because we all thought we were special drama school kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that gave me the social currency to feel able to make jokes. Mm-hmm. Whereas before that, I think I always felt like too much of a loser to even have the platform to start mm-hmm. being funny, maybe. Oh, interesting. But my family always told me I was funny. But I don't know if that was like a, you're so quirky and strange. <laughs> it's always quite hard to unpick that that language. I, I didn't think I was funny until, or know I was funny until like a month before I started stand-up. That's so funny. Like when I, when I remember things or when people tell me about me as a young person or a child, I can see I was funny. But I was the kind of funny that people didn't assume it was funny. So people didn't get it. So I was more like the weirdo. And I mean, it took me till like a year into doing stand-up before I realized that my mother was funny and that my grandmother was funny. Mm. Because I just didn't assume they were. So I would just be like, oh, she's saying something weird again. Or, oh, she's being offensive. Or, oh, she's being annoying. Or being weirdly sarcastic or angry. But now when I... Th- now I'm like, oh, wait, that is fucking hilarious. Mm. But in the really dark, sarcastic way, which isn't like, you know, puns funny or like clowning funny. It's just like a really dry comment that you have to think about for a bit before you go, holy shit, what yeah. the fuck is that? Yeah. And that was sort of me, like me making like a comment that I'd probably think was funny, but then people would be like, oh, why are you saying that? That's so strange. And I'd be like, oh. I don't think you really got what I was trying to do there. And I think that's just like a people just not assuming that I could be funny for various reasons. Like the, the I boys I hung out yeah. with, oh, they were hilarious and we would laugh a lot at each other. Yeah. But they were the funny ones. I was just like, whatever. The girl, probably just like the girl. Yeah. Do you think that's what I'm talking about then? Do you think it's the social currency thing? Because it was only only at drama school where I'd auditioned and gotten in and everyone thought we were great, that I was funny. Meanwhile, at my normal school, I wasn't funny there. And I wasn't seen as funny until I started going to Purse Girls when I was like 13. And then I made friends who thought I was hilarious because we were all, everyone there was a young, a young woman. And, um, you know, everyone there had passed all of these exams and so everyone kind of respected each other and everyone, you know, everyone was filled with that ludicrous sense of self-esteem that rich children are told to have. They're told they have a stake in society and that they're the good ones and the poor children are bad. You know, this is all incredibly problematic. But it was only when I started there that I became funny at school. Mm. Well, yeah, well, I think that that is, I remember the first time I was backstage at an open mic and I had, at that point, I had, like, a few groups of girls, you know, like, girl talk with girls going out for brunch, woohoo, that whole mm. thing. I was trying to fit into that. And I remember having, well, in my second, third show, I tell the story about my grandfather's funeral, and that had just happened at that point. I remember, t- and I thought that was, it was a hilarious story, mm. but dark as fuck. So I was telling all these, my girlfriends, and I remember them just staring at me like, that is horrible. And I'd be like, oh. And then I was backstage. <laughs> but it is so funny. I know. Then I was backstage with these comedians and I was like, I felt like saying it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to say it now. And so I told them the story and they laughed. And they were like, that's fucking hilarious. And I was like, 
I'm home, I'm home. Finally, mm. these people get me. There's a place where I'm being read as funny and they can, mm. you know, these incredible comedians saw straight through me and were like, you are funny, you're definitely funny. I remember sleeping with a comedian and afterwards he was like, you're so funny. And I was like, oh my God, like usually when I make these jokes, these comments, people just look at me as if I'm really strange. Mm. And this is incredible. And I think for me in, in my childhood, that was just... There weren't room for feelings. There was no room for feelings. No one should feel anything. Feelings are bad and weak and bad. Yeah, same. So instead we joke. Yeah. So, you know, like if I was to fall and I like hurt my knee or something and I was like crying or about to cry, you know, we would laugh at it. Like, oh my God, you look so stupid when you fell over. And then you just learned, ha ha ha, okay, we laugh it off. You look stupid. Ha 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 ha. Do not show weakness. Do not show weakness. Yeah. So that was my reaction. Also then that's why I didn't fit into all of these um spaces with these well cis women because they had been socialized to feeling their feelings and like you know softness and it's okay to cry and it's okay and I hadn't had that socialization because I was just like do not show emotions laugh it off yeah same -o. <laughs> same same <-o. laughs> um I mean we could obviously well not just we could talk forever, we will talk forever because we're here till Thursday. <laughs> yeah, but, I know, we'll just continuously um, talk. I was exactly. going to ask you if you think that the the comedy circuit is like that as well, that it's just circles within circles of context and how people see you. Because I, I think that then within the comedy circuit, it's like whether people read you as funny or not is why they laugh more or less at your set. Oh, yeah, you mean like you can do the same set in a comedy club with a lot of like Hindus and stag dudes where they're more oi, 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 laddie, and then you do it in your own night where it's feminists who respect women. Yeah, it's whether or not they see you as funny when you walk on stage. Yeah, that totally, that totally, that's why like when I get to lads at comedy clubs, which I try not to do because it's damaging to my mental health. Yeah. And, oh, I hate it, but I, I can't just go up and be like, here is a joke. You have to, I have to go and be like, yeah, I'm fat. And here's a joke about that. So now you can relax a bit. And I have to be more aggressive, more masculine, more like self-deprecating. I kind of have to like earn their trust first so they feel comfortable with me. Yeah. Because the second the, the MC goes, here is a female comedian and she, they just tense up or they go to the bathroom or they're all like, this is not going to be funny. It's in their heads. Yeah. Where if it's my own audience who in their heads are like, we are going to see Sophie Haken and uh, I like their comedy. This will, this will be funny. It's a different, even though it's exactly the same joke. <sighs> the world. Imagine being a white straight cis man. Oh, <sighs> and knowing that one day <laughs> the waters will rise and drown you and you've had the best 50 years of your life <laughs> um thank you jody where can people oh well i mean I, usually i would ask the last question but you've already answered that haven't you do you think it will be different now the baby question yeah maybe we'll try okay you're in the delivery room and little jody they have just been born and they come out all screamy I can see you being like really red in your face, mm. being born. Yeah. And they're screaming and crying and screaming and crying because it's all very terrifying and scary and there's lights and sounds everywhere. And you now are holding yourself as a tiny baby and little Jody is like looking at you like, what the fuck is this? Is this life? Is this what life's going to be? What the fuck? And you know exactly what's life going to be up until this point where you're 
25. Yeah. You know exactly what's going to happen. Homelessness. Lots of queer stuff. Lots of drama. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going to happen. There's going to be lots of lights and sounds everywhere. But you get to say something to yourself about what life is going to be like. You can't change anything. So it doesn't giving any kind of instructions or advice doesn't work. That's not what this is. It's little baby you going, what is life? What is it going to be like? What would you say to teeny tiny baby Jody? I would say enjoy all these lights and sounds now because pretty soon you'll be traumatized and you'll stop experiencing any of them. <laughs> oh, no, it's just my little joke. Um, uh, I would say you're going to become really obsessed with Harry Potter. And the first time you take the Pottermore quiz, you're going to be sorted into Gryffindor. You're going to be so happy about it. And then you're going to steal your friend's email so that you can re-sign into Pottermore so that you can take the quiz again about a year later. And it's going to sort you into Slytherin because you're having a really bad day and you're going to freak out and you're going to wonder whether you're a Slytherin. And you're going to do that quite a lot throughout your entire childhood. You're going to wonder whether you're a bad person or a selfish person because you're only going to think about other people. You're not really going to think about yourself. Then anytime you think about yourself, you're going to think it's selfish or bad. But you're not a Slytherin. You're also not a Gryffindor. You're a Ravenclaw. Really clever. Other people won't understand that, especially not Sophie, who hates Harry Potter, which is the main reason you're doing this now. But you're a nice person. It's all going to be okay. The do you end. S- do you still need to be told that? I think so, yeah. I still panic about being a bad person or a selfish person. That's why I'm so bad at setting boundaries with people. Because it's, it's easy to believe that you're, that you're bad. Do you ever think about that selfish and bad people don't think that they're selfish and bad people? That you only think about being that because you're not? Yeah, it's like that thing about how um, psychopaths never wonder about whether they're a psychopath. I don't know. Sometimes, Sometimes you talk to people that you know are very selfish and very bad, but they're very good at disarming you by talking about how they worry that they're selfish and bad. So then it it feeds into the feeling that maybe you could be doing that as well, you know? Especially when you're a performer and a lot of your life is taking up space on the stage and a lot of the way that you promote that is, you know, it's all self-promotion. It's doing social media about yourself and getting an agent by telling them how great you are. And shouting people to hear your little thoughts. Yeah, exactly. You know, give to me on Patreon and I'll tell you some more. Um which is it's all very easy to convince yourself that you're that you're selfish and bad and then it's yeah it's a whole whirlwind isn't it but it's it's just trying to ground yourself in like the fundamentals of like good stuff that you do or just you know stuff to do with existing that you do that isn't a bad thing that isn't a selfish thing it's okay to have self-care it's okay to have boundaries it's okay to just be existing you think it's ever about not it it not needing to be definitive because i also i feel like my go-to reaction would be to say you're definitely not a bad person you are definitely not selfish and that sort of feels destructive in a way because i think in a way what you probably should say is 
well, sometimes you're probably a bit selfish. Sometimes you're probably a bit of a bad, like not just you, but like people. Yeah. You'll be a bad person sometimes. You'll be a good person sometimes. You'll be a tired person. You'll be a flawed person sometimes. You'll, you'll be more selfish than other times because you're tired or you don't have energy or... I feel like we should also leave room for sometimes fucking up and, you know, we can't... Like, being a good person, what even is that? Does that mean you have to sidestep yourself all the times and only do things for others? Or, yeah. You know, like, do, when do you, you also have to prioritize yourself, otherwise you're going to end up burning yourself out and then you can't be anything for anyone. Yeah. So maybe selfishness is sometimes the right thing to be in. We just don't have more than one word for selfishness, right? There's like self-prioritization. There's because some, yeah. sometimes you do have to look after yourself in order to be able to look after other people. Yeah, and like also it's if nuanced you're, and complicated, if you're and, in any way an empathetic person, mm. people will automatically take more from you and demand more from you because you you meet them with this. Hello, I am a person who will always care for you i am a person who will always take your feelings into consideration i am you know and then people you know when you if you suddenly start setting boundaries within like inside of a already functioning friendship or relationship people will start to feel that as a criticism or an offense mm. where if you've from the beginning were like i have clear boundaries i'm going to think of myself they would never call you selfish if you set boundaries you know what i mean yeah, which is why it's so boring and frustrating setting them now because people freak the fuck out. But that is when I, the first time I, I'm not going to say the first time I learned setting boundaries, it, that is sort of it, but it's not like I've learned it fully. But that was when I was just doing everyone's homework. Everyone's homework, like saying no to no one. <laughs> I did everything, like anything for anyone. Oh my gosh. I, I was like 17, 18. And I told I, my therapist, was like, you need to stop, start saying no. And I was like, but I, I'm so scared people are going to be angry with me. And I thought she was going to say, no, of course they won't. But she said, yeah, 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 they will. They'll get furious with you. They will see it as a personal insult and they're going to get really angry with you. But then after a certain time, like a certain amount of time, they'll just be back to liking you for you. But they need to realize that it's not about them. This is just you changing. Mm. And that's okay because they'll immediately think it's about them. Yeah. So I think it's worth knowing that that's going to happen so that when it happens, you don't see it as a, oh shit, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry for setting the boundary. And then retreat on it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you're going to hate me now for a month. Go into your hate corner. And then if they don't return, that's because they were only friends with you because they could get things. Yeah. Conditional friendship. Jesus. So toxic. So toxic. So toxic. May it burn in hell. We're just going to continue doing this after. We're going to like switch off the microphone and then just continue having a chat afterwards <laughs> that isn't recorded that you can't get Patreon money for. We should oh, probably just have I, these on all the time. Well, I didn't even tell you about the extra bit. There's an extra bit um, I'm doing now on my Patreon where oh. um, I ask people six questions. Oh, and right. then, So after the recording, I ask people six questions and then that bit goes on Patreon. Oh, okay. Well, we can so, look forward to that. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um for now though where can people find your stuff um you can follow all of the work that i do with pex drag kings um by following pex drag kings you can come and see me as john travolver my glaswegian macho male persona um i think they're just at pex drag on twitter um 
Pex Drag Kings on Facebook, I think. Pex Drag Instagram, probably. Uh, you can follow everything that I do with my queer, all women and non-binary comedy collective, The Lol Word, um, by following at Lol Word Comedy on all platforms. Um, we have a monthly night in London. We are doing uh, two North Downs pick of the fringe uh, on the 28th of September, if you want to come and see that that'll be pretty great we've got an amazing lineup for that um and you can i mean you can listen to our other podcast which is similar to this one but more culty <laughs> more life more culty more, more life more culty slightly more traumatic for us sometimes <laughs> um secret dinosaur cult um and you can follow me on all the socials i'm at jody mitchell underscore on twitter and Jody Mitchell comedy on Facebook and Jody Mitchell. Are you Jody Mitchell comedy on Facebook? Yeah. Like your full name, like your name or your link. Uh, like at Jody Mitchell comedy is how you can find okay. my page. Or I'm jo- like the page is called Jody Mitchell. Oh, good. I guess. Good because I was going to have a go at you there. No, no, no. The page is called Jody go. Mitchell, but the tag of Jody Mitchell was already gone, so it's at Jody Mitchell Comedy. Don't worry. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry. As you can see, I have a very good social media manager who I don't pay, <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah. What else? Oh, I think that's probably it. You can find me around. I'll be here with Sophie most weeks. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it was dreamy. We would have been doing it anyway. I know we would have. No pod. Um, I'm going to be recording the outro now. Do you, you can just do whatever you want to do whilst, and then when I'm done, I'll turn this off and we'll do the remaining six questions. Great. I'm going to sit here and plan what kind of open sandwich we're going to make. Well, yeah, we, there's a whole, we need to find, figure out what to do. We need to make a plan of how we're going to eat all that food before we leave. Cause I want it. I w- now. No, at some point, I just I'm just gonna plan which open sandwiches I'm gonna be making now. Okay, you can do that. Yeah, that's fine. So I imagine that will uh, I think Dave, my editor, will have uh, put in a jingle at some point right there, and um, Jody's still in the room as I'm recording this, which is is fun. It's actually quite fun. I um, obviously hope that you enjoyed that. I am at the at the current moment of recording this i am yet unsure if it's going to end up being a one part or a two parter because it was quite a long one parter but it might be quite a short two parter so that's not up for you to be concerned about uh, you already heard us talk about the extra bit which we're going to be recording in, a, in just a bit and you can find that on patreon.com forward slash mobot m-o-h-p-o-d um, through which you can just support the podcast in any way you find um uh, good for you I've run out of, of words to use but you can donate with one dollar per episode two dollars per episode all the way up to endless amount of dollars per episode and if you give five dollars or more you become a friend of the podcast and if you're a friend of the podcast that means I will read out your name at the end and it's exciting as always we have a tiny little competition between some of the names and I can see that we have new supporters at this time, so I am very excited to see if uh, there will be anyone in the lead. So uh, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone supporting this podcast, both by telling your friends about it, writing about it if you're a journalist, telling people on Twitter, 
supporting with one-off donations uh, via PayPal or if you just if you give less than five dollars of course I'm also very grateful if you come to the live shows uh, oh I am I forgot to mention this I'm doing a live episode with Desiree Birch on the 22nd of September in London I think by the time this comes out there will still be time so please come to that it's going to be a lot of fun but as for now I want to say a massive thank you to these wonderful people Jodie are you listening to the names of these wonderful people I really am amazing huge thank you too Alan Bland. Alan, you're new. Welcome. Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Anya Knoblauch, Ashley Salmon, Autumn Blue Sky, Barry Norton. Barry Norton, who's been at every single gig I've done for the past two days. Oh, Barry. It's Barry. That's why I'm like, Barry, because <laughs> I say oh. Barry's name all the time. Caitlin, Cat Posse, Cherry Winter, Claire McCowlin, Connor O'Donovan, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, uh, Daphne Fanger, Eleanor, Emma Chan, Fenella Dunn, Privacy of Sorrow, Privacy of Sorrows, Aurora Teratops, Fiona Richardson, Grace Ann, I think, I think you knew Grace, welcome Grace, Hannah Rose Tristram, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minow, Minna, Minna, Heather Watson, Ida Sergolasen, Janie Mahoney, Joe C, Kathleen Goodmanson, Kathy Draxelbauer, Kat- Katie Hatfield, Katrina Engelson, Kathy Travis, Kaylee Renouf, Renault, Renault, Renouf, Kim Williams, Kirsten Davison, Chrissy Nicholson, I think you knew Chrissy, welcome. M Dash, Murray Fraser, Man on Alien, Maketa Dubalova, Megan Roberts, <laughs> and then a new, per- my favorite person probably, Oh Patreon, my Patreon. <laughs> and then, oh, and another new one, uh, Otigorifigo. Oh, I think maybe the O's are like um, meant to be like more symbolic, so I think it's like Tigorific, but then with two O's. Mm like a pretty thing i don't know you're new welcome as well paul swaddle paul williams are you new paul williams have i said paul williams before i'm sorry if i forgot i'm very excited that we have two pauls perpetual motion pierre finne and then we have rachel dash not really it's lily and harry french in a rachel costume which i don't think counts towards rachel's but i appreciate the effort rachel evenheim rachel furley rachel phillips ragdoll robert knowles robin cabell russell hughes Sarah Ferrer, Ike Sid, Sarah Allen, Sarah Plumer. We still have three Rachels and three Sarahs. Uh, very exciting. Susie Tyler, Victoria Greer, and Victoria Layton. And I do believe that we, uh, one of the Victorias is fairly new, so that means we could soon have another Victoria, and then the Victorias would be in the lead with the Rachels and the Sarahs. I don't understand that you people do not care as much about this as I do. I think it's very exciting. Oh, also, we have two Pauls now, so if we get a third Paul, well, you know what would happen we'd have a proper competition. Um, and I'm sorry to the Katies and the Catties and the, 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 all of you, Katrina and Kathleen, I still haven't decided. If I just had a category that said cat, you'd definitely be the winners, but your names are all very different. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I'm sorry for it being very tricky. Uh, thanks so much, people, for listening to this either one part or two parts. So I'm going to figure that out soon. Uh, you're just you're brilliant. Uh, thank you to Dave Pickering for producing this episode, uh, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, to Linda Brinkhouse for the logo. Uh, usually I would thank where, wherever I was doing this um, episode for having me but this is an airbnb that i have booked so thank you to <laughs> myself for booking this place uh, thank you to jody for being an amazing guest and i will speak to you next week bye mm-hmm.